Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Today, say today, I want to talk about something really important. The title of my message is, Ew, what's that smell? Ew, what's that smell? How many have kids? If you, are you sure, Jer, are you sure, Gene? You were like, I don't know. They're older, right? How many have had kids? How many have ever had a kid who was sick? Anyone? How many have ever had to deal with their kid's vomit? Anyone? Those 3 a.m. experiences, those are fun, right? You're tired, and you're groggy, and you're irritable, and you're cleaning up stinky, nasty vomit, and you're trying to be gracious, gracious with your child, and you say things like, listen, buddy, if you feel that feeling, you know that feeling? See, you've been there, haven't you? If you feel that feeling, don't come into my bedroom first. Go into the bathroom. Vomit on tile is better than carpet. Am I right? As you're scrubbing the carpet, trying to be nice, you're like, can you just please go right to the bathroom? I'll meet you there, Right? Maybe you guys are a little more gracious than I am, but I've had that conversation many times because it's not a fun thing. It's not fun to deal with vomit. Say, ew, what's that smell? We're going somewhere with this this morning. I want to look at Proverbs 26 and verse 11. It says, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. Read that with me. As a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. I remember when I was growing up in my household, we had this thing where it somehow worked out perfectly. There were 31 Proverbs, and so you get to read one a day. Whatever the day it is, you get to read it. And I remember I got to the 26th day for the first time, and I read this, and I went, cool, the Bible says dog vomit. <laughs> What'd you learn? I don't know. I can't get past a dog vomit. I was a boy, right? We, gross things are cool to us. But, you know, I want us to really dig into this in the Hebrew today. There's some really cool things that I think we can learn uh, from this today. Uh, you know, when I started on this, I, I was looking up some definitions. And I looked up the definition of the word folly. Say folly. I was surprised at a couple of the descriptions. So, I'll just read through a few of these here. So number one is this. Folly is the state or quality of being foolish, uh, stupidity, rashness. Sounds about right. Uh, Number two, a foolish action, mistake, or idea. Makes sense, right? Listen to number three. This is folly. A building in the form of a castle, temple, built to satisfy a fancy or conceit often of, a, of an eccentric kind. Now listen to four. I'm going to put this on the screen. A costly ornamental building with no practical purpose, especially a tower or mock Gothic ruin built in a large garden or park. Isn't that interesting? You're like, how is that folly? Well, if you look in the dictionary of etymology, the origin of words, This comes from the old French word, fooly, it's spelled F-O-L-I-E, fooly, and it means folly, madness, and stupidity. But that comes from a word pronounced fool, but it's spelled F-O-L. 
Listen, it means this. A costly structure considered to have shown folly in the builder. So here we are with this. When I think of folly, I'm thinking of these first definitions. Foolish action, a mistake, right? You, you don't, you're not getting the, the idea. You're not wrapping your head around the truth of life. It's, it's, you're being foolish. You're being rash. But have you ever thought about this idea of this ornamental building that's basically worthless? It's, it's designed for our own self. We could even call it a facade. I never really saw it that way. So in other words, folly can mean a costly ornamental structure with no practical purpose. A fool returns to his folly. Have you ever noticed how we tend to build structures in our lives? And many have no practical purpose. We do this in religious communities. We do this in political systems. We do this in tribes and people groups. Do you follow me? And the sad thing is, Christians aren't exempt. Those of us who love Jesus, we would say we're followers of the Jesus way. We can do the same thing. We can create these monuments and these ornamental structures in our lives. And scripture says that when we do this, we're being a fool. We're being foolish. Wow. Writer of Proverbs, tell us what you really think. But I say this because I've done this in my own life. I think we all have, but just being personal, I've done this in my own life. Sometimes it's easier to build pretty-looking structures, or we could even say facades, than to be our true selves. Now, when I say that, you're going, ooh, I don't know if I want to be my true self, who I really am. Well, here's the issue. Many of us don't know who we truly are. You follow me? We think that that... that person that we're ashamed of when we look in the mirror is who we truly are. But God's saying, no, you're made in my image and my likeness. And until you awaken to that, until you begin to see that, you'll never benefit from it. You'll never walk in it. And that's why it's so, so very important that we see ourselves like God sees us. Because I, I love to think of it like this. Through your whole life, someone is telling you a story about yourself. That could be you. That could definitely be others. Some of you grew up in households where your mom or your dad or your aunt or your uncle, they told you what they thought your story was. They told you who they thought you were. And guess what? It may have gone directly against the grain of who God says you are. But what I found through 50 years on this planet is that old habits die hard. Old thought patterns die hard. And so we can believe that something's true even when it's not. It's a true belief to us, but it's not truth about who we are. You follow me? And so I've done this in my own life. I, I've created these these different you know facades in my life because let's be honest, we all want to be okay. I want people to think I'm okay. I'm doing okay. I mean, there's time. Now, now again, there are people, they say, how you doing? They're like, and they literally verbally vomit on you. Like, it's everything in life, and, and that's a sign of trauma. But another sign of trauma in your life is when you hide things and you cover up. See, I don't have an issue necessarily with someone speaking faith especially to someone you don't know. How you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. That's one thing we hear in the church a lot, right? I'm blessed and highly favored. But the truth is, 
you're falling to pieces, but you don't want anyone to know because you want to be okay in their eyes. And I get that. I understand that. And I'm not saying that we just tell everyone, well, let me tell you the truth of what's going on. I mean, maybe that person's not the person to be there as a sounding board for that. But that's why it's important we have people in our life that we can just say, I'll be completely honest and just tell us how you feel. And you know why I believe that's okay? Because Jesus did the same thing on the cross. He felt God forsaken. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Famous words, right? Now, we've got some crazy theology out of that. That was the one time in the life of Jesus that God turned his back on his son. No, he's quoting Psalm 22, but we miss it, don't we? Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the beauty of this is this is a prophetic psalm. It tells all about everything from, from the garments. They're casting lots for the garments. I mean, the, the whipping, the scourging, everything. It's prophetic. But when you get to the end, this is so beautiful. It says, yet you never hid your face from me. Whew. Jesus felt God forsaken, but he wasn't. How do you know, Pastor? Well, Psalm 22 partly tells a story, but Paul also tells us that God was where? In Christ, reconciling the world to himself. God never went anywhere, but Jesus felt like, I mean, I can't imagine. I've had some stuff happen to me in life, but I've never been ripped open by whips and put on a cross to hang for dead. I can't imagine what that feels like. And Jesus had emotion. What I'm saying is sometimes we can feel a certain way, and it's okay to say, I feel this way right now. Someone betrayed me. They betrayed my trust. I've been hurt. I'm broken. I lost my job. I lost my spouse. I made a bad decision, and I wrecked my car. I mean, there's all types of things that happen to us. We can be honest in those situations with somebody who can say, listen, I hear what you're saying, and I'm listening. Quick to listen, slow to speak. That's something I had to learn in my life. I found out that when your wife tells you stuff, she's not looking for an answer sometimes. She's looking for an ear. I'm like, come on, I can fix this in two minutes, babe. Let's get it going. She's like, you're not hearing me. So I had to learn that. What's my point? I don't know, but let's keep going on whatever, whatever you get from that. My point is that we all want to be okay, even if we have to fake it. And there's something about this idea of vulnerability that's looked down upon in our society. But I do believe this, that true freedom comes in being completely open and vulnerable. In a situation where we can say, yes, this is what I'm feeling right now. It's not lack of faith. It's what I feel right now. I love the man that came to Jesus, and he said, do you believe that I can heal you? And he says, yes. He goes, I have faith you can, but help me with my doubt. I'm like, wait, he had faith and doubt at the same time? I was taught for years that couldn't exist together. It's just really wild, isn't it? So we can even have faith. Well, let me tell you this, by the way. Faith is a gift. It's a gift. It's a measure that's been given to you. So you don't have to like, I'm working, I'm trying it. Why? It's already there. Now we can exercise that faith or that trust by saying, God, this situation, I, 
I see around me, I, I feel, but I'm choosing to trust you. That's exercising your faith. I'm trusting that you've already taken care of my need. You've already taken care of this in my life. Are you catching this? This isn't even my notes, so it's free this morning. And so we see this idea of folly as this ornamental structure that we build, this facade that we build so things can look pretty and we don't have to be real with people. But what does the word fool mean in the Hebrew? Well, it's the word kasil. Say kasil. Say like kasil. You got to be like Hebrew with me, like a rabbi. But it means this, stupid fellow. <laughs> okay. Simpleton. Get this, arrogant one. A fool is someone who's arrogant. And so I, I took my time to write my own translation. It's the ABV, the Andrew Baranzik version. Listen to this. As a dog returns to his vomit, so an arrogant one returns to his costly ornamental building with no practical purpose but built to satisfy a fancy or conceit. Isn't that interesting? What a different way to see this. See, we build these structures to feel good about ourselves. And what I see with this is there's really two ways to look at it. It's either a way to hide our insecurities or it's a way to have a sense of superiority over others, which really is just hidden insecurities. Well, I'm better than them, right? You ever played that game, that religious game? Oh, man. I mean, I know I do some stuff wrong, but I know what they do on Saturday night. It's a vicious game. Don't play it. Don't play the comparison game. But here's the thing. Maybe we're trying to hide insecurities. Maybe we're trying to have a sense of superiority over others. Or maybe it's a little of both. But the Jesus way, listen to me, the Jesus way is to walk in love. That's the command. To walk in love with ourselves and with others. Have you ever found that it's easier to love others? than it is to love yourself at times. Some of you are like, no, I love myself. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not talking to you. But the majority of us, it's really, it's really tough sometimes to love yourself. I can love that person, but here's the truth. It's a lie. Because but until you can love yourself, you can't truly love others. Man, I'm going all over the planet with this, Tom. When we walk in divine love... We build up people, not structures. And so it's important. When we read this proverb, it's like, I, li I like the comparison. As a dog returns to its vomit, because how many dogs return to all kinds of stuff they let loose? Don't understand why. A fool returns to his folly, building structures these ornamental buildings, these structures that have no purpose but to look good. When we walk in divine love, we build up people, not structures. And so I believe this, that we need to run our actions, our thoughts and ideas through the lens of Jesus. We hear this all the time, don't we? Jesus should be our lens to see life, God, Scripture, all these things. Uh, that lens of the good news. And sometimes we may use that lens... And, and look through at something and go, ew, that kind of looks like folly. Th that kind of smells like vomit. That, that's not as good as I thought it was now that I'm looking through the lens of Jesus and the gospel. The Apostle Peter deals with this in his second letter to the church. 
2 Peter chapter 2, look at this. He says, they promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For people are slaves to whatever masters them. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and empowered. The last state has become worse for them than the first. Verse 21. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment that was passed on to them. I want you to see something here. He's talking about people who are going back to an old way, an old thought process. And look what he says in verse 22. This is awesome. He hearkens back. He says, it has happened to them according to the true proverb, the dog turns back to its own vomit. And look at this. And the sow is washed only to wallow in the mud. Isn't that cool how Peter took something from what he would know as as a good Jewish boy? He's like, this is that pattern. This is what happens in life. And then in, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says this. He says, a new commandment I give to you. Did you, did you hear that? A new commandment. Just think about that for a minute. Jesus is a Jew. Many saw him as a rabbi. How many know that they had a law? Ten commandments, about 613 rules and regulations, and Tom, correct me if I'm wrong, by the time Jesus arrived, wasn't over a 1,000? I mean, a lot of laws. And Jesus says, they knew a commandment meant, a new commandment I give you. <laughs> People listening must have been like, whoa, dude, what are you doing? You're messing with the system right here. Okay, Jesus, what is it? That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Some people say, man, you just, you know, I get the love. I get the love, man, but you got to talk about the wrath. You got to talk about the justice. You got to talk all the other things. And the thing is, the Apostle John tells us that God is. He doesn't, it's not an attribute, it's who God is. So wouldn't you think that if God's love, his judgment, his justice, his righteousness all come through the framework of love? Just think about that for a minute. And people go, oh, love's just ooey-gooey. Oh, not always. Love hurts. Any old people in here like Nazareth? We opened up for them once at the Capitol Theater. It was a cool show. We were a little heavier, and everyone walked out going, who is this band, man, opening up for our Nazareth? Anyway, love hurts sometimes. It's not always ooey-gooey. When God loves me, there's times where I'm like, I know you're loving me right now, but it hurts a little bit. That love is a hot fire, and it's burning some, it's raising some dross to the service. It's cleaning some impurities, Lord. You follow me? Well, look what he says. By this, what? By your love, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He's not saying that you aren't a disciple. I used to read this and go, man, I better, I was a disciple and now I'm not. Why? I'm not loving good enough. Oh, oh, I'm loving today. I'm a disciple. Praise the Lord. Oh, man, I didn't love good enough. I'm not a disciple anymore. That's not what he's saying. Look at the context. He's saying others will know that you're a disciple by your love for one another. So in other words, when you're projecting that image of God and love, people go, oh, there's something about them. They didn't react the way I would have to that person in that situation. Because it's easy to love things that are lovely. Jesus talks about this, man. It's easy to love your friends, 
But then he says, but I ask you to love your enemies. You're like, oh, Jesus, come on. What are you doing? This isn't easy. Well, I never said it would be easy, but it's doable because I'm with you. So again, he's not saying that you aren't a disciple. He's saying others will know that you are a disciple by your love for one another. What is a disciple? A disciple is a student. It's a follower. It's one who's learning. Think about this. You know more and walk out more knowledge in ninth grade than you do in kindergarten, right? Why? It's a process. And so we grow in our love walk with Jesus. It takes time. So no condemnation this morning if you're like, man, it doesn't seem like I'm loving like Jesus. That's okay. Jesus is with you. He'll help you through the process. Don't give up. Don't give up. But realize it's a journey and it's a process. And then the Apostle John says in 1 John 3.11, he says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. Here it is again. That we should love one another. There's so many verses about loving one another. I think there's a theme in the kingdom. It's to love one another. Amen? And then in verse 18, it says, My children, our love should not be just words and talk. It must be true love which shows itself in action. See, it's one thing to say, I love you. You ever notice sometimes that's just a a natural response? If someone says, I love you, love you too. You know, but like I could say, I love my wife, and then I could turn around and say, I love pizza. Well, there's a difference between that love, right? I hope there's a difference between that love. And so sometimes we can just throw that idea around, but what I'm seeing here is true love shows itself in action. So look again at the ABV. As a dog returns to its vomit, so an arrogant one returns to his costly ornamental building with no practical purpose, but built to satisfy a fancy or conceit. There's another interesting thing to note here, because I love words. The word returns in this verse is written how many times? Go ahead and put it up, Heidi, if you can. Proverbs 26. How many times? Twice, yes, in the English, but it's actually two different words in the Hebrew. Oh, I saw that. I'm like, man, it's going to get gooder. Look at this. So referring to the dog returning, it's the word shuv, S-U-B, shuv. It means to return or come back again. Makes sense, right? But when he's referring to the full returning, it's the word shana, not to be confused with shanana. It's, I, I got a little bit of my dad in me there. So, But, but get this, it's shana, and it means to repeat, but in a deeper meaning, it means to literally transmute or alter. Transmute means to change in form, nature, or substance. Think about this. I just, when I saw this, I'm like, okay, wait a second, wait a second. So the dog returning is like, yeah, it's returning. But the full returning is more than just going back again. It's literally changing your form, your nature, or your substance. It's going back to the original lie. The same lie that was believed in the garden. The lie that keeps humanity in bondage, in bondage to sin in this false self where we see ourselves as something different than what God has called us. 
So it's so much more than, yeah, I'm just going to go back and do it again. You literally, in your mind, are seeing yourself wrong, and you keep going back to the false identity, the false identity, the wrong you. And God's saying, no, no, I want you to come to who you truly are. Listen, any time that we're playing the fool, we're living life out of false identity. A fool returns to his folly. You see, a dog is doing what a dog naturally does. Anyone here have a dog? I had a dog. Sometimes I had to fight the dog. I was the one that had to go out and clean up the poop. You know, sometimes I'm fighting the dog with the poop. It's like, dude, you shouldn't eat that. Let me just clean it up. Dogs do some crazy stuff, man. If you're a dog lover, good for you. I'm a cat person, meow, meow. But dogs just naturally go back to that stuff, whether it's their vomit. Hey, what's this? What's this? What do they do? They go back to it. That's a natural thing. But when playing the fool, Think about this. We're doing something unnatural when we return to our folly, our false identity. We're going against the grain of who we truly are. So what can we do to start seeing these changes? I would say this. Spend time turning off the voices around you and begin to listen to the voice within you. Say, Holy Spirit, you're within me. I hear your voice. And I found that sometimes I just have to get to a space where it's quiet. It's so easy to, I mean, you can go to school and there's a teacher talking and there's friends talking. You go to work and there's machines going or there's music going. You come home and there's food cooking and the TV's on. And then you lay down and you binge some Netflix and then you go to sleep. And the whole time, still small voices trying to speak, but we can't hear. And so sometimes we need to turn those voices up around us. I started doing something a few months ago. It's called contemplative prayer. You may have heard of it. And it's where you're, you're, you're praying, but you're not saying. You literally, we could call it meditation, but you just find a space that's quiet, and you just take 20 minutes, which when you first start feels like 20 hours. You're like, oh, man, I must be getting close. A minute and a half? I'm telling you, do the challenge. Turn everything off and be quiet. It's not as easy as you think. But here's what I found in this practice is that you begin to just sense that peace of God. You begin to hear that still, small voice. You get, begin to be reassured of who you are and whose you are. Again, we don't do this out of legalism or, well, you better do this. No, no, no. This is good for us. How many know that, you know, if, if, you, if you eat the right stuff for your body, you'll get good results? If you move around a little bit, you'll get good results. If you work on your anger and you have less anger, you get good results. It's not legalism. It's helping yourself be a better version of yourself. Now, I'm not trying to be a motivational speaker, but I believe Scripture is trying to bring us back to a place where we see who we truly are. It's important. So sometimes we need to just turn off those voices around us and find a quiet space. Start listening to the voice within. And in those moments... We begin to learn how to run every thought and action through the lens of the greatest commandment, love. Every thought and action. And I found this. When I, when I use that as the litmus test for anything that I say or do, I make better choices. When I don't do that, you ever done something and went, oh, I missed it. <laughs> I shouldn't have said it like that. I shouldn't have done it like that. Come on, we're all there, or am I the only one? But see, when we run things through love, the greatest commandment, it makes all the difference in the world. 
Jesus gives us an invitation in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Say rest. I think it's uh, Eugene Peterson says, a real rest for your soul. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Do you see this? Jesus is saying, learn from me. You know, we just saw that people will know that you're a disciple or a student or a learner of Jesus when you love. Jesus is saying, he's reinforcing this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. People say, well, Jesus only called 12. Yeah, I know, but you're a disciple as well. Jesus is saying, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And look at this, and you will find rest for your souls. I don't know if this speaks to you, but I absolutely love this. Rest for my soul. Sometimes we can have a restless soul, can't we? Look at this, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, if you've gone to church for you know, any amount of time, you've read the scripture in, in some shape, fashion, or form. But sometimes it's good to read things and really line by line, take it in, meditate on it. You want to give me rest for my soul, Jesus. You're asking me, you're inviting me to take your yoke upon me. You're asking me to learn from you. Wow, Jesus, you're gentle and humble in heart. Things that I can learn. I want this rest. I want this relationship. Do you see this invitation here? Because there's such freedom and fulfillment when we walk according to our true design and our true nature who God's made us to truly be. We are built in, through, and for love. Say, I'm built in, through, and for love. That's who I am. Will you stand with me? You know, maybe you're here this morning, you're thinking, man, pastor, I've never seen that proverb like that, but Holy Spirit has shown me that there's some, some buildings, some uh, ornamental uh, buildings that I've built in my own life to maybe cover up insecurity, to, to maybe, maybe look good on the outside, even though I'm, I'm dying on the inside. And this really has ministered to me. Well, I would just ask that you would take a step today and just open yourself up and say, Jesus, I'm here. Jesus, I'm open. I seek healing in these areas of my life. Repeat this with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and grace. You're so good. I receive this word. And if there's anything, Holy Spirit, that you want to reveal in my life, that could be defined as folly. Show that to me. And Jesus, I ask you to come into that space and bring your healing virtue. Bring truth where I'm believing lies. I receive your healing. And Holy Spirit, I choose to hear your voice to find time to be still 
and know that you are God. Thank you for your direction. Thank you for companionship. We thank you for the promise that you'll never leave us and never forsake us. So we stand on that. Even in those, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me moments, we can know in our heart of hearts that you haven't gone anywhere, that you're with us through the midst of the storm, the heartache, the pain, the circumstances. We thank you for your presence, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.